Welcome back everyone to yet another episode of Truth Speaks. I'm your host Kobe. I'm your host Adam. And yeah, welcome back. Just so, to start off the new section. Uh, to start off the, the new section, bro. we have some news about Turkey. There has been a... Everyone's probably heard, a lot of people have heard. There's been, there's been a massive uh, earthquake, earthquake in Turkey. Oh. Yeah, over th- over 5,000 people have already been con- confirmed dead, and 23 million people are said to have been affected by the earthquake. Yeah, this is very tragic news, and it happened very recently, about yesterday, I think, or two days ago, three days ago, f- depending happened, on when this podcast comes out. It happened on the border to Syria, so Syria has also been affected by this. Yeah. And Syrians have been affected by this. But the 5,000, I think the 5,000 dead are both, and I don't think they're only Turkish people. Mm, yeah. We have some more news on the U.S. Part, on the U.S. embassy. The American in embassy in Sweden said that uh, said that there is a high risk of a terrorist attack happening in Stockholm. They also warned all citizens to avoid uh, folk summoning, which means yeah. like gatherings of people. So if you're ever in a crowded area, maybe move, maybe leave. Move. So yeah, and the Swedish or the Swedish prime minister said about a week ago that Sweden's at risk or vulnerable to terrorist attacks because yes. of the political state of Sweden. So yes, that is that is that is what's going on in the news. And Finland has decided to change their mind on joining NATO by themselves and now they're going back to joining yeah. with Sweden why? instead. Why? I don't know why. I just heard that that's why. Because Sweden and Finland have the strongest military alliance uh, with each other and Finland said that either both of us join or no one joins. So Turkey cannot only accept Finland, which they yeah. wanted to do but Finland said no. A lot of stuff. So yeah, that's it for the news. Thank you all very much. For the next section of the podcast, we would like to introduce Taras. He is a member of the Ukrainian Refugee Organization, and he's here to tell us more about the, uh, about what they do and how they work. So welcome, Taras. How are you? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm fine, uh, considering. And uh, yeah, it's, it's a big pleasure to be here, and thank you so much for inviting me here. Of course, of course. So then, for our listeners, could you please give us a brief introduction of your organization? Maybe when did you start, where are you located, and maybe what is the best way for our students to find your organization online? So for now, the best way to find us would be through our Facebook group. And uh, I don't know how your podcast is distributed, but you can put all links uh, ne- necessary maybe in the in the description or something. So I will provide you, provide you with, yes. with, with all these things. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> uh, we started... Um, Pretty much on the second day of the um, uh, full-scale inv- full-scale invasion that started on 24th of February 2022, and on February 25th it was the group of friends. We um, were not really much working before that, but we were aware that we are all living in Stockholm. We uh, communicated and then we met in the Ukrainian church in the center of Stockholm. Also the, the local priest help, uh, helped us with the, with, the first, uh, with the first place where we could uh, assemble some help. And for first couple of days, we were located in this uh, St. Eugenia Shirka yeah, at the Kunstredgården. And later on, we moved to this uh, place, uh, which is at Sveavägen 162, which is uh, a school that is right now out of use. And we were kindly provided with this, uh, with this, with this place, and that's where we are assembling 
and collecting our uh, aid. And uh, from this place, we are also sending this aid over to Ukraine. Uh, our uh, organization is named Ukrainian Volunteer Hub, and our primary goal is to send aid to Ukraine to transport anything, anything necessary to uh, Ukrainian uh, military, to Ukrainian refugees in Ukraine, because there are also a lot of, a lot of relocated people from the eastern uh, frontal regions to the western part of Ukraine, where it is relatively calmer, and also to hospitals and medics. That's uh, our our primary primary uh, goals and primary things that we are that we are pretty much assembling. Uh, of course, we are collaborating with many other organizations here in Stockholm and uh, with the possibilities to provide help for the local Ukrainian refugees that came actually from Ukraine here to Sweden. But uh, this is a little beyond the scope of our organization, but there are other organizations and we assist, so, so to say, we assist other organizations to help refugees here in Stockholm. And there are a couple of programs, so depending, maybe you can, you can uh, help me to ask further questions uh, so I will know what to, <laughs> yeah. what to yeah, tell yeah. you about, because so, there yeah. is a lot of things that I can, can tell you. So then you said there, there were a lot of different ways you help Ukraine, and where do you get the supplies for this? Like, is it through donations or is it through other organizations or...? So uh, there, are, there are several ways. First of all, it's personal donations from people all over the Stockholm. Honestly, um, I am impressed by how much care residents of Stockholm and of Sweden put into this cause. So we have people coming all the time, bringing stuff from the smallest possible pair of socks, which is also very important, up to really, really expensive, um, for example, combat medicine, which can really uh, save lives also for the mm. civilians, because there are, a lot of, there are a lot of attacks on the civilian and infrastructure and the medics in, um, in um, so to say, civilian medics, they are also using the same equipment pretty much. So we are supplying all of them. And... Uh, Second, uh, second type of aid we accept also from other organizations that help us, for example, with transportation. Transportation is a huge problem because this is pretty expensive business and also uh, there should be every, everything should be done by the book because then the, the, the aid is crossing several borders, it's crossing the ferry and so on. So uh, we need experienced drivers, we need, uh, we need cars, we need uh, trucks. And for example, there is this organization which is called Blogula Bilen. Mm -hmm. uh, they are a pretty big organization and then they organize actually cars. That, that's why uh, Blogula Bilen. So they organize cars that they donate to Ukraine. So they bring cars and these cars stay in Ukraine. And they have cars, we have something that we can put in those cars. And uh, that's that's how we collaborate. And uh, the the last but not least is that we um, actually collect money. We collect funds, and uh, on these funds we buy stuff that is mostly needed right now in Ukraine. So, for example, the last purchases were uh, 50 pairs of uh, good winter boots. Before that was some uh, um, tactical medicine that we delivered to the paramedics on the front line. Before that were also some uh, Mavic drones and uh, thermal imagers that are, of course, not, not uh, regularly military usage because we have no rights to buy those things. But 
for for this we we can also collect money and send this over mm-hmm. to 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 Ukrainian. Well, yeah, that's really good. So it seems like you guys have a lot of links to different organizations, which must be really helpful, right? Yes. So, so yeah. First of all, so first of all, there are a lot of organizations that were again created by uh, Ukrainians who were living here. Yeah. So myself, I'm living here uh, since three years. I work in Sweden. Uh, some organizations were created by Ukrainians who came as refugees, especially those organizations that uh, help uh, kids and help um, relocated people. So, for example, there are several cultural organizations that, um, like House of Ukraine or um, Organization of Ukrainian Women in Sweden, I do not remember the exact name, but that's some, something about that. And they are organizing cultural actions that are, um, first of all, they, they, are, they are targeted on local population to get some people acquainted with Ukrainian culture, but also for children, for example, to um, help help children with, with education, also to give them some education in Ukrainian, but also in Swedish to help people to accommodate here, as well as give them some education about Ukraine so they do not miss, for example, school program or something like that. And how, like, aside from the people you help in Ukraine and by sending supplies to Ukraine, mm-hmm. how do you help people in Sweden that come from Ukraine? Like, other than other than the transport? Because I know you said that you transport a lot of people in cars yep. and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Is, 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 are cars also the main type of transport that they come in, or do you also take boats and, and other... So we are not so much heavily involved into trans- into helping people transport here. Yeah. So those are other either our partners who help us transport stuff over there, then they bring people back. But especially at the beginning of the of the invasion, for the first few months, all the public transportation in Europe was free for Ukrainians. Especially if you if you just cross the border and then until you reach the, the your point of destination where you decided to become a refugee where you decided to obtain the refugee status, you can reach these places usually for free, which means that most of the people can actually arrive to Sweden uh, by public transportation. Right now, the wave of refugees uh, decreased a little bit. And uh, honestly, for the last months, I do not know how does this function right now. Mm -hmm. But uh, I'm sure that it is, it is possible to obtain this help, especially a lot of people are coming to Sweden through Poland. So they, mm-hmm. of course, there are, there are no flights in Ukraine, so people can come to Poland. And then from Poland, there are either cheap flights or they are helped by other volunteer organizations to arrive to Sweden before, uh, especially in uh, April, May and June. Uh, March, obviously, uh, people were coming by, so to say, ground measures. So they were coming by buses and then using the ferry from Poland again to Stockholm. And here on site, uh, we used to collaborate with other organizations like uh, Ukrainian Nordic Forum. They organized this uh, Palenica project that um, helped Ukrainians who actually arrived here with some warm clothes, with some medicine, with some food maybe, just to help them to, to, to be accommodated over here. Mm. But to be honest, also a lot of a lot of aid uh, is taken over by obviously go- governmental organizations that provide refugees also with financial support, food and uh, housing, and it's uh, getting more better and better organized as far as I know in Sweden. However, of course, often it's not 
enough for regular refugees so that's where volunteer organizations uh, step up so on that then how do you feel that ukrainians are treated in general compared to the rest of europe by the swedish government and what do you think that uh, the swedish government could do to step up their game it's hard to it's hard to compare because i'm not uh, fully aware about all of the programs all over europe i can um, and and also in addition to be honest even if I'm aware about some numbers, it's hard to compare because there are not yeah. only not only numbers in the game. There are also social benefits. There exactly. are also um, other other things that uh, refugees can use when they arrive to the to the countries. For example, in Stockholm, it's great because all the public transportation is free for refugees. And uh, uh, second thing is that uh, medicine is almost absolutely free so you pay maybe symbolic uh, symbolic like 50 crowns for one visit and uh, i know about refugees that got surgeries got some uh, serious treatments in the hospitals and that's that's obviously great because that's um, that, that, that that's re that's really great help um, in comparison uh, i know the system in germany is that payments in germany are higher in comparison mm. to Swedish, maybe twice as higher. But again, I am not a specialist over there, so I didn't study this matter properly. So I yeah. cannot, I cannot answer properly. So yeah. uh, yes, uh, the the payments right now for Ukrainian refugees are sixty crowns per day, um, given and and this is for refugees that do not receive. Um, housing from the Migrationsverket. Yeah. If you receive mm -hmm. housing, you get even smaller uh, daily payment, and this can be really troubling. But on the other hand, uh, we know about these programs that, for example, if you need some expensive interclose or, or something like that, you can apply specifically to Migrationsverket, and they will provide. So there are there are a lot of a lot of factors to consider. So I am not qualified enough to answer the yeah. to answer yeah. the question about comparing this program to other programs in Europe. So to All say. right. And do you think do you guys ever send like send forward uh, refugees to other countries, or do you usually just come and then you help them settle in Sweden? Like in Poland, refugees will come and they get like sent to Sweden. So a lot of times po Poland Poland is a big transition hub because yeah. Poland has the longest uh, border with Ukraine and obviously all people who arrive to Poland, some of them want to stay in Poland, some of them want to go to other countries like Germany or Sweden or Denmark or whatever, any country in Europe pretty yeah. much. And uh, that's why in Poland it was, it, it is quite common to help people also to um, be transitioned through the country to the point of destination. Here in Sweden, usually when people arrive to Sweden, they usually want to stay in Sweden with some Maybe maybe with some exemptions, maybe someone to, to go to Norway or Finland. Or yeah. I don't know. Yeah. So at least uh, myself, I never participated in the program where we helped refugees to go to other countries. And uh, our organization as it is, it is not working with the transportation of refugees. So we have um, very, as, as we are, we have very little to do with the help to refugees that arrive to Sweden. Again, most of these functions are uh, done pretty good by Swedish government and uh, other volunteer organizations uh, help with smaller things like supplying again clothes food hygienic supplies and other things that might be needed for the everyday life and do you guys handle like specific cases of like let's say someone comes to Sweden and they want their family to come as well would you like handle a specific case of helping someone's family come back 
And how does it usually work? Do people usually get end up getting their families to also come to Sweden, or do they usually have to go back? So it so it depends. Uh, with the first wave of refugees, most of the re- refugees were women and children. Yeah. Mm. So uh, male citizens are not allowed to leave Ukraine right now. That's why most of the refugees are, with, with some exceptions, obviously, but um, most refugees are women and children mm-hmm. or elderly people. And uh, yes, sometimes uh, there are cases where refugees are coming here, then they want to go back to Ukraine to pick up uh, their family, and then they want to come back again. Yeah. Uh, as I said, again, we do not, we do not uh, uh, handle these things. Mm-hmm. We are mostly responsible for sending stuff to Ukraine. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, for assembling, assembling help and doing that. Often the drivers that are going to Ukraine with uh, help are coming back with people. Yeah. But again, this, um, uh, so to say, m- migration of refugees subsided a little bit over the last uh, couple of months. The biggest waves were in the beginning for yeah. a few months. Now uh, people... Uh, who wanted to come, they already came, and uh, obviously some people are still coming, but there is less and less, uh, so to say, flow, smaller and smaller flow yeah. of, of, of people. That and so what, what, uh, what are the supplies you guys send the most, and what, uh, what supplies are the ones you need the most? So the most are expendable supplies, Yeah. and such expendable supplies would be any kind of medicine. Mm-hmm. Uh, from uh, medical gloves to even we we were obviously very surprised, but we were donated several um, even even expensive medical equipment. Obviously, those are not expendable, but they yeah. they are also needed because a lot of hospitals, especially in eastern Ukraine, are bombed and destroyed. Mm-hmm. Mm. And uh, for now, uh, we accept a lot of uh, help for surgeries bandages uh, catheters all types all types of tubes any surgery equipment uh, for sterile works also pills any kind of medication and with that usually doctors from um, health centers from board central and they they come and uh, bring supplies that they don't need anymore in their uh, health centers or clinics or some of them decide just to buy it and donate and then we just uh, pack it and uh, normally we do not decide who gets what we just uh, yeah. trans- transport everything to ukraine where our partner organization which is ukrainian ukrainian scouts yeah and they uh, then transport everything to hospitals so hospitals that we support most are located in dnipro in mykolaiv so Mykolaiv is uh, next to Kherson. You might have heard of Kherson. It's uh, the city yeah. that was recently liberated by Ukrainian forces. Mykolaiv mm-hmm. is very close and it was constantly shelled by Russians. And uh, that city re- and uh, the, the hospitals in Mykolaiv were kind of first hospitals where Ukrainian soldiers came to with heavy injuries. And about Dnipro, you obviously heard a couple of weeks ago where were this uh, just horrendous destruction of, of the... Um, a big residential building where a lot of people died. So that's also the city which is quite close to the front lines, uh, constantly under shelling and missile attacks. And this is a big city where a lot of famous and really good hospitals are located. And uh, we are trying to help them as well to get as much supplies as possible. And, would, yeah. and um, what was I going to say? Uh, do you, are, are the supplies you guys send ever 
like at risk of being maybe destroyed or taken by Russian uh, military forces? Mm, destroyed, probably bigger risk because yeah. obviously we never know where these, I don't know how to call them because obviously I'm not allowed to use bad words here, but um, <laughs> uh, I don't I don't know how. Um, we can beep it out. <laughs> we can beep it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, thank you. But uh, obviously the attack can be coming wherever with the missiles or any type of artillery shelling. Yeah. So especially when volunteers are uh, coming with the cars closer to the front lines, they can come under fire. Mm. Uh, coming to so this supplies coming to the hands of Russian military is unlikely. Um, well, some volunteers are really, really these these are brave people, amazingly brave people. They yeah. sometimes they bribe Russian soldiers or something so they infiltrate occupied territories. Oh. And uh, we are not aware whether our supplies went to such, so to say, operations or not. Mm -hmm. But um, it's obviously worth the risk because the occupied territories are under very bad conditions. Yeah. And uh, there, these supplies, even if part, I don't want to say it, but even if the part is stolen by Russians, maybe still uh, everything is, and, and those, those are not obviously any, any, any military equipment. This is equipment for hospitals, yeah. like pills yeah. and... And stuff, and they they really come to the aid of, of local people who suffer the occupation. Yeah. On that note, though, what are like some of the biggest challenges that your organization faces? The biggest challenge uh, for our organization is to find always the mode of transportation to Ukraine. Right. So logistics is a big problem because. First of all, we receive requests from very different organizations in Ukraine. So we have one big organization that we supply all the time and then they distribute. This is the Ukrainian scouts in Ternopil. This is the uh, city in the Western Ukraine where is the big humanitarian hub and big humanitarian warehouse where we deliver all our stuff and then they distribute and deliver further. But we also supply stuff to people in Eastern Ukraine to maybe smaller, to, to maybe smaller organizations, to the small military units and so on. And uh, we always have to think somehow how to deliver stuff, especially to Ukraine. Surprisingly, surprisingly, which is a bit surprising for me because I know what pain in the neck can it be here in European countries to use uh, normal post. Yeah. In Ukraine, uh, we have this one uh, government organization and another one, the private one, which is called New Post. They work incredibly well and hmm. they deliver stuff by themselves from the Western Ukraine to Eastern Ukraine and back, obviously, and they do really, really good job. And they also collaborate with some volunteer organizations so you can uh, send aid for free if you, if you, if you have agreement with them. So this, um, this is really, really helpful and I salute these people for their work. Do you think it's, do you think like personally that it's hard for Ukrainians to integrate into Swedish culture and society when they come here as refugees? Or do you think that? Not necessarily. Not really? the, it's usually the biggest challenge is language. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but since uh, in Sweden, the fluency in English, for example, is so high and yeah. English is still the most taught language in Ukraine, uh, foreign language in Ukraine. Yeah. 
So people who know English can already find some sort of work. They can speak to people. They can integrate. They can can communicate and obviously find their place better. And for children, it is um, easier to learn languages because there are these special classes at schools where they can learn Swedish, mm -hmm. which is obviously very good. But on the other hand, uh, um, for people who are a bit older and especially among the older generation, the generation of my parents, for example, yeah. so they do not speak English normally and learning new language is uh, kind of a challenge for them, obviously, mm. but uh, they try their best and some of them actually start working also on their speciality. And uh, as the level, the general level of education in Ukraine is quite good. So um, some people already work as teachers who were teachers in Ukraine, for example, uh, music teachers or dance teachers, they can integrate into, into these professions. Yeah. Uh, but obviously, if they want to integrate fully, it requires time and um, some, well, some some effort to learn the language. But for them, some of them, it is also difficult because um, also this this uh, financial aid is really low, and it is sometimes difficult for people, especially when they are settled somewhere really far from Stockholm or something like that. So yeah. that's, that's, yeah. that's, of course, introduces some hindrances into this integration process. And so the people that come here and do get these language lessons and stuff, do you guys offer language lessons or do you just help locate them to people who do? Uh, there are a lot of uh, language programs right now in Stockholm as yeah. well. So for example, uh, uh, yeah. so refugees, they do not have personal numbers, so they do not uh, have access to these so to say, regular uh, Swedish studying prog programs like SFE or SVA, yeah. uh, same ones that I am attending right now, for example. But um, there are others, other language courses created specifically for refugees. And I believe this is also since, since, Sweden, since Sweden has quite nice experience if you if you can call that nice nice experience because of course the causes for migrations are, are always very horrible so yeah. I, I, I don't know how to how to call it properly but sweden handled uh, migrants for some time already quite good so there were waves waves of syrian refugees for example and the and swedish government has a really good experience with doing that so there are uh, different language and uh, other courses offered to refugees and so you were you you've you've been here since before the Swedish elections, right? Yes. Yeah. Do you feel like the change in government affected your, uh, or do you feel like the regulations or whatever around having a refugee organization changed or were impacted by the change in government? Um. So the change in government is I haven't been following the the new laws that were that were. Um, voted yeah. last month i don't know if there are if there are any new laws but i remember there was this um alien new, new alien act in 2020 or 2021 mm -hmm. i believe mm. it it was a big deal especially among uh, scientific researchers as, as i am one uh, i work at karolinska institute and i have these temporary contracts and yeah. uh, that act made it much harder for example to apply for permanent residence permit Mm -hmm. But that act has nothing to do with the situation of refugees, for example. And I do not know how the 
policy for refugees is changed right now after the um, former opposition, now the new government, after the new government was elected. And uh, for now, nothing has changed since uh, March. Yeah. Nothing has changed since since February. Uh, neither into neither n- neither into better direction nor into worse direction. For now, the refugee directive has been extended, so the people who stay in Sweden for for one year uh, now can extend their stay, and they will again receive the um, um, residence permit and work permit, and the uh, payments will be the same. Um, so, I. Mm. As 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 I said as I said before, I'm not really qualified to comment to comment the political decisions yeah. Yeah. from the new government, but from uh, from what I can observe from the uh, from the point of view of the regular crowd, not much has changed so far. Let's say like that. And uh, I know you said you didn't handle the transportation of refugees directly, mm-hmm. but do you think you could comment on what the hardest part of the trip is, other than obviously getting out of Ukraine? Like, is it hard to bring people into Sweden, or is it hard to go through Poland, or is it? What would you say is the hardest part so of gen- the generally? Transport? Generally, the hard part is that this is a long journey. Yeah, and uh, it's it's long and tiresome journey since uh, a lot of people they do not use uh, flight transport, mm-hmm. and among them can be children, among can the, among them can be elderly who do not handle these long transportations very well. Yeah. And uh, yeah, getting out of Ukraine can be can be dangerous. So obviously, the most dangerous part, especially well, always was the evacuation from the war zones. Yeah, yeah. And uh, then there is always a quite long line on the Polish-Ukrainian border, which is relatively safe. I mean, we never know where the Russian missile can exactly. come because they use this. Yeah. yeah, they bomb whatever they want, so yeah. no one knows. Uh, there were already some uh, missiles uh, fallen in in Poland and in in Moldova as well. So uh, yeah, that's, I remember that's that. No one, no one, no one is safe from exactly. that. But on the other hand, it's just the long line that uh, makes the trip even longer is quite difficult, especially for children and elderly who. Well, yeah. Do you? What is? Do you think it's hard to? To raise awareness about your organization in in Sweden and getting people to come and donate and stuff like that's uh, so it's it's not hard but it's important job to be done yeah so we work through social media we have our pages on all social platforms that we that that we think are important like Facebook Twitter Instagram uh, LinkedIn as well and uh, we also attend. Uh, these regular 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 demonstrations that are on s- every Sunday and as well there is every Monday Mondag Mondag Rörelsen on uh, normal Torje where they also distribute uh, our leaflets and uh, I have brought also some leaflets here so yeah. I can give some mm. to you so you can distribute in your school for yes, example but exactly. um, as far as I know there was already one project uh, in in your school uh, of uh, or, or maybe I, I mix up, but uh, yeah, no, I think there was, yeah, yeah. So they, so they collected some winter clothes and uh, brought them to us. So yeah. We are also very grateful for that to you and your colleagues. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. Do you think uh, on that note? Yeah. Do you think how else can students or staff or our school in general help uh, your organization? The most important, as usual, is to raise awareness and to help with spreading the information. Yeah. 
and uh, we are sometimes organizing or joining in the organization of some cultural events that we also spread information about on our Facebook page. Mm -hmm. And uh, there we, we also are trying to reach out to the to the public in in Sweden, um, not, not well, in, in Stockholm, obviously, first of all, but yeah, mm. uh, yeah to, to, to the public that we haven't reached before. But I think it works uh, pretty good, but always can be better. Yes. And do you, can students from our school, like the, the, it would be kids or like under 18, can they become members in the organization? So we have uh, volunteer work all the time. Yeah. And if they wish uh, to join us, it's, it's always possible. Yeah. So uh, usually the help is needed to sort some things, then to pack some things. Obviously, we uh, have um, also to load boxes. If the boxes are heavy, then they don't have to do it, obviously. But yeah. uh, as a help, or, or if they just want to pass by and uh, have a look what's what's being done and take some leaflets and then try to spread them in their schools yeah. or their communities, that, that's also uh, very, very important work and uh, very appreciated help. Okay. Um, I believe that is it for the questions, unless we have any more that we want to ask. No, no, no. that's all from us. Uh, um, thank so you so much. Oh, uh, yeah, so just, just one more question then. <laughs> yeah. um, on our students helping the organization, would they find like opportunities to maybe go to these events or maybe help packing or whatever? Would they find that on your social medias then? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. So well, there, then, are, yeah. there, are, there are always posts about when we are open, but normally we are open between two and six on Sunday. This is again 162. Yeah. And if they, uh, th there are posted links where they can register as volunteers, but if they fail to register and then, yeah, and if they just come by, uh, we can register them on the spot and that's, that, that would work as well. Fine. Okay. It is just that sometimes we have a lot of people coming and there is not that much work for yeah. that much people. So yeah. if they come by and they are disappoint disappointed with the amount of work, uh, we are sorry for that. But fortunately, we have always a lot of people of goodwill who are coming to help. And uh, yeah, I think that's 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 great. Okay. Well then, great. Thank, thank you, you so much. Thank you so um, much for coming. Yeah. And uh, we'll make sure to post uh, all the links and everything. Yes, and we'll, our leaflets around school. We'll post the links to their Facebook and their Instagram and their social medias on our Instagram. So everyone from our school and everyone following the Instagram will be able to check it out there. But yeah, thank you so much for coming. This was great. Yeah. Thanks so much for inviting me here. And uh, thanks so much for uh, the good job you are doing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much.